Welcome back to my investigation of the interlaced stories of Isabel Gaudi and the buried village of the Colbin. Isabel is a woman accused of witchcraft and lost in lore, and the Colbin is a village buried in sand. Their stories intersect in mythology, which has swallowed up these two true histories and spat out something supernatural and unwieldy. I'm on my way to visit Isabel Gaudi in Aldern Tolbooth. En route, I get a wee voice message from my producer, Jenny. Annie, hi. Now you've seen the so-called Sahara of Scotland. Quite the tourist destination, right? And lucky you saw it when you did. The future of the land was deemed more important than postcard sales for this time. Because in the early 1900s, it was decided that the Colbin should be stabilised long term. And so the Forestry Commission began planting. Believe me, this was no easy task. A forest on sand is a forest out of place. Planting was really complex and several attempts failed. Some young trees had their roots exposed in high winds. Others were utterly destroyed, blown over and covered. And some trees that did survive were felled during the world wars. In the end, branches and brash were brought in from other forests and layered atop the loose, sandy soil to protect it long enough for the young trees to gain a footing. Or a rooting. (laughs) Anyway. As much as 40 tonnes of brash was put on each acre, which was a huge undertaking. Ironically, this is called thatching, so thatching is not only what destroyed the Colbin, but what helped to heal it. Corsican pine was the tree they chose to plant, because it develops these extensive root systems which are able to absorb water from a really large area. And this was perfect for two reasons. One, the roots hold the loose sand together over a large area. And two, as the sandy soil drains quickly, the root systems are able to absorb as much water as possible in the fairly dry environment. And so the bulk of the reforestation work of the Colbin was completed by the Forestry Commission between the 1920s and 60s. Or at least as I can see today as I drive by it, it has had a profound ecological effect on the Colbin. It's really cool. It's like another world compared to the Sahara. Thanks to the persistence of the foresters and the binding roots of these trees, we now in 2022 have this phenomenal forest. So... There you go, Annie. It's the rebirth of the Colbin. Man, I love trees. They're amazing. I think this is the final piece of the puzzle for the story that I need to tell Isabel. Which is perfect, as I've just arrived. Hello. It's the 23rd of April, 1662, and this is my last interview with Isabel Gaudi in Alder and Tolbooth. Greetings, my friend. Look, Isabel, I've got a selection of Victorian biscuits and some lovely ale. Mmm. Mmm. I've never tasted something like this before. Victoria is a most skilled cook. So, I've got a lot to tell you. The devastation of this coast is true. 
the village and the land of the Kalbin become buried completely in sand. I've seen it for myself. The desert is all-consuming, bleak, and yet somehow it inspires awe. It's a landscape out of place in this region. It's sad. So many of the natural environments of the highlands have been reshaped by human interference that it's hard to say what does belong here. Everyone loves the heather-clad mountains, but they were once ancient woodlands and now are just a sparse feeding ground for deer. But the Calvin isn't subtle in that way. It screams of the human activity that changed it. And the Kalban fought back and waged war against a community that destabilised it in the first place. So yes, as unlikely as it sounds, this land does become a desert in the north of Scotland. You say this happens 30 years from now? Yes, um... So the Great Storm of 1694 did a lot of damage. But the damage is happening already. It's just gradual, slow. Yet it's obviously speeding up the coastal erosion. Every season, as the marim grass and the peat are harvested, well, the coast is weakened. People can see that the sea is biting in. That by using up all of the natural resources of the Kalban, it's going to destroy the land. But they just want a roof that won't leak for another winter. And no one is thinking about the future of the land or their own future and how that's connected. Let alone where their burns are going to go. Everyone knows that their actions are destroying the environment of the Kalban but they don't really have the power or the choices to do anything differently. And it's blamed on me that my lore is cast so far into the future. Well, yes, um, and, and no, no, not exactly. There's a few legends that relate to a variety of curses behind the ruination of the Culbin, and you're certainly one of the main cast of them. They're actually quite impressive legends. In one of them, whose spirit comes to life to avenge a young woman who was killed by her father, one of the Lairds. In the legend, it's the Laird who's evil, not the witch. They do say that you cast the curse that lays waste to the land, but it's because the Laird was despised and hated, and in the end, murderous and variations exist it's usually either yourself or the devil who casts the sand spell on the Culbin. but if it helps I don't think the folklore is really about you as a person I reckon the community just want to remember the stories that you told in your witchcraft confessions Underlining all of this, the beating heart of this history, was the pulling of the marim grass. And folks understood at the time 
that the destruction was caused by the overuse of the Mavim grass. In the years after the great storm, the mythology around you did grow. But some of the mythology is actually quite sweet as well. When they find the most beautiful and incredible ancient artifacts buried in the lands of the Culbin, they tie the stories of these objects back to you. Because this community sees you as a strong, magical and everlasting force. The woman who connects the Culbin to the realms of the fairies and everything supernatural. And then some of the mythology of the Culbin is just silly. One of the most repeating stories was about the apple trees of the Baron's orchard being buried deep in sand. Then, some years later, a branch or two would stick out and a cunning local would pick the apples, knowing that they were the sweetest, juiciest apples in all the land. There's something quite charming about it, that even when people can live with the Culbin as a desert, they still think that the best apples are going to be coming from buried trees, because that's where the fairies were. Even the apple trees lost to sand. My mind cannot picture this. Are you sure it was the Culbin? Yes, it's the Culbin. But if it makes you feel better, it changes still because everything is replanted. So in my days, in 2022, the Culbin is a forest. It's impressive and large, mostly pine and birch, and it sings with nature. There's red squirrels and pine martens hiding in the hollows of the trees. There's hedgehogs, voles, and endless amount of hares hopping around. There's enough wee freshwater ditches and pools that in the summer, the ground moves with little frogs and toads. Overlooked by the silver-glinting North Sea are the birds who nest in the wetlands, the wee ecosystem between the sea and the forest. And people live close by, and they value this place. I grew up beside the Culbin, and it was wonderful. It still is. There's a woodland walk with a tower so you can look out across all of the Murray Firth. Anyway, I'm afraid that's all I've got for you. So, will you finish your story for me, Isabel? Unlock this for me. Let it make sense. The devil came to me before the Battle of Aldern. Right before the battle and the soldiers were gathering. It was a dangerous time. And in the moment, I became changed and transformed in shape and in spirit into a hare. You may think it's dangerous to become a small hare or a crow when there's so many soldiers about the place. But there is safety in a warren of the Underearth that there's not in the shape of a woman. Did you really become a hare, Isabel? 
I was a hare at peace. And in silence, as soldiers tore through the countryside in order to slaughter and to be slaughtered. The shape of battle changes the minds of men to desperation. They cut down one another, opening bodies and turning the field to red. And I was in the ground, ears flat against my body, waiting, praying for this to be over, for the chase of the runaways to end, scared soldiers fleeing vengeful soldiers, no quarter given. A hare does not fear the torrents of soldiers set loose from battle fury. No, a hare gets through hard times without the crushing of the human spirit. There's such a thin veil between life and death that when good people encounter too much pain, sometimes their mind crosses the veil before their bodies. This does not happen with hares. The knowing to keep living is in our nature. We are hidden from these torments. Protected. Safe. I just don't... Do you really believe you were here? Do you really believe that you are time-travelling, Annie? Mayhaps this is how you recognise that all you know about my life is my trial, and that a witchcraft trial is not a fair balance for any life. I know your life is worth more than this. Then please, I beg of you, take me with you. You know well, Isabel, it doesn't work like that. I would if I could. Then leave. Now. Else you will burn alongside me. I'm sorry. Look, I can leave you with the recorder. I'll bribe the jailer to bury it for me and I'll listen to you in 2022. Whatever you want to say, just press this button and speak into this end, do you see? I understand. Doesn't Harry look peaceful? <laughs> of all of us, Harry the Mouse is definitely the most calm. The calm is what carries us. <sighs> Goodbye, Isabel. Farewell. As I depart, I see Isabel feeding a biscuit crumb to her mouse. I wonder if she ever imagines what it would be like in the life of a mouse in the jail, scurrying around for crumbs and slipping in and out as it pleases. I don't know. I think she's got a bit of an affinity with animals. Anyway... There's a poem I found in the Forest, Algon and Nern Gazette that speaks of the Culbin as a desert. I'm going to read it, but just because it shows how much this place is transformed. It goes. The Culbin Sands is a dead man's mound With the wind of the North Sea wailing round The white gull rakes over her rifted skies and the voice of the curlew never dies. Though they peck at the bones of the past, they wake not the dead from the desert fast. And the living may weep 
and wring their hands, yet their tears drop dry on the Culban sands. What is your secret, man demands. Sphinx nor oracle understands, God of the desert and the smiling lands, keepeth the secret of the Culban sands. It's a bit of a funny poem. Tears would no longer dry on the Culban sands. It's got quite a famous wetland. The place is thriving with life. When I was a wee burn, I spent so much time in the forest. I would build little houses for the fairies in the Culban, out of sticks and leaves. I feel like that's what Isabel kindled in me. The thought that this place could be magical. And then I realise I'm ignoring everything Isabel actually said to me. I'm speaking about the folklore and the landscape, not the woman who sat in front of me in a cell of Aldern Tolbooth. A woman who described the trauma she lived through and her grief and pain. I feel a sharp sense of shame because I've fallen into the trap of romanticising Isabel just because her tale enchants me. She never gifted us stories of magic and fairies, the elf bulls, the transforming into animals. No, these stories were torn from her because of the situation created by the witch hunt. However, Isabel's life was marked by environmental, political and economic crisis, which were far beyond her power. A popular theory on her words is that she was trying to mock the individuals in her community who feared witches, such as the local minister Harry Forbes, that Isabel is ridiculing the establishment with her testimony. Or perhaps she is making answers for questions that are too despairing for anything else. I find myself wishing to be the hare in a burrow underground, hiding from this challenge of trying to understand if she has the same superstitions of witchcraft as those who seek to punish her. And unfortunately, speaking to Isabel, I don't think I will ever know how much of her own story she believes. And does it matter that her legends still live on in the Culbin? I'm not sure.